Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our award-winning podcast where we dive into the fascinating world of research and science. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we have a real treat for all of you cognitive science enthusiasts out there. That's right, Jen. We're about to embark on a deep dive into a paper that's making waves in the field of cognitive skills training. The title itself is a mouthful. Individualization in Cognitive Skills Training, Essential or Superfluous? Examining the Effectiveness of an Adaptive Game for Training Executive Functions in Young Adults. It's quite a title, Tom, and an even more interesting subject. Executive functions are basically the command center of our brains. They help us manage our thoughts, actions, and emotions. Exactly, Jen. And the paper we're discussing focuses on something called adaptive games, which have been designed to train these executive functions. So, let's start by setting the scene. Why is this paper so significant? Well, in recent years, there's been a tidal wave of interest in developing programs and tools to enhance what we call executive functions, particularly utilizing digital games. Strong executive functions are linked to loads of positive outcomes, better learning, better health behaviors, even higher academic success. That's fascinating, Jen. So this study zeroes in on one particular aspect of executive functions known as shifting, which is the ability to adaptively shift our attention between tasks or rules. The core purpose here was to examine the effects of playing an executive function training game on not just shifting abilities, but also on updating and inhibition, which are other elements of executive functions. Updating involves constantly refreshing information in our working memory, while inhibition is all about controlling our impulsive behaviors and resisting distractions. The paper puts these ideas under the microscope in a study involving young adults. Participants played either an adaptive version where the game responded to their performance or a non-adaptive version where the difficulty level was set. Exactly. And the key finding was that playing the shifting game indeed improved shifting, updating, and inhibition. But interestingly, there didn't seem to be any difference in these improvements between the adaptive and non-adaptive game versions. Sounds like we're in for a brain-tastic episode, Tom. Stay with us as we explore the objectives, methodology, and the intricate findings from this paper. We'll also consider the implications of these findings and their potential applications in the field of cognitive skills training. And as always, we'll wrap up with reflections on the broader importance of this study and its contributions. Let's sharpen our cognitive tools and get ready for a thrilling journey through the brain. And now, a quick word from our sponsors. Are you a young adult with executive functions? That's right, I said with, because let's be real, we could all use a boost. Introducing Brain Buffers, the gaming solution to flex those mental muscles without breaking a mental sweat. Forget adaptive this and non-adaptive that. Why choose when you can have a game that whimsically decides it's going to level up, down, or even sideways, depending on whether you had coffee this morning? Brain Buffers comes with our patented Confusion to Clarity technology. Each level randomly adjusts in difficulty based on the phases of the moon, the stock market, or the likelihood of finding a matching sock in your drawer. That's right, Tom. It's Executive Function Bootcamp meets wild unpredictability. Get the benefits of cognitive training with the added excitement of never quite knowing what's going on. 
Need to practice inhibiting impulsive behaviors? Try our don't touch that button level, where you definitely should not touch the big red button that appears. Or should you? Enhance your updating skills with Memory Mayhem, where you remember not only where you put your keys, but also if they're even real. And improve your shifting ability with Task Tango. Now you're doing math puzzles. Wait, now you're learning Mongolian throat singing. Download Brain Buffers now and question everything you knew about cognitive training games. Remember, in the land of Brain Buffers, confusion is not an error. It's a feature. Terms and conditions may apply. Side effects include sudden bursts of enlightenment and occasional existential quandaries. Brain Buffers. Train your brain in the zaniest way possible. Now back to our regularly scheduled brainy banter. Welcome back, listeners. Today we have a fascinating study to discuss on our podcast, Reeling in Stories, an investigation of creative behaviors and creativity support on Instagram by Simon M. Seh and Matthias Benedek from the University of Graz, Austria. That's right, Tom. This is a study that can truly resonate with anyone who's ever used Instagram and is especially significant because of the colossal role social media plays in our daily lives. Indeed, Jen. This paper explores the intersection of digital technology and creativity, specifically focusing on Instagram. The study investigates the factors that predict the creative use of Instagram, including individual creativity, personality traits, and the perception of the platform's support for creativity. Let's set the stage by providing a bit more context. Instagram has evolved into a platform where millions of users not only socialize and follow celebrities, but also express themselves creatively. Yet according to this study, the significance of the platform in supporting creativity and the characteristics of users who leverage it for creative purposes wasn't deeply explored until now. Right, Jen. The researchers aim to fill this gap by analyzing both person-specific factors like creativity levels and personality, as well as platform-specific factors such as self-reported ease of use and the extent to which users believe Instagram supports creative expression. They've also surveyed a number of participants to parse out these factors. A key component of the study is its detailed breakdown of how Instagram supports the creative process, which they have divided into six facets. Inspiration, generation, elaboration, presentation, collaboration, and motivation. That's a lot of ground to cover, but listeners, don't worry. We'll guide you through all of this step by step. We'll discuss the methodology of the study, its key findings, and potential implications of those findings. Let's dive in. The study recruited 191 Instagram users, collected demographic data, and assessed various aspects of their creativity and Instagram usage. This included how they use Instagram creatively, their general attitudes toward Instagram, platform-specific self-efficacy, and their perception of the platform's creativity support. Can't forget the personality traits, Jen. Those were also crucial. They included openness to experience, social risk-taking, and social comparison orientation. Ah, yes. And after collecting all this data, they ran detailed analyses to understand the relationships between these factors and the creative use of Instagram, measured as a combination of active and passive creative behaviors. Let's break down these key findings because they really are the core of this paper. First off, the researchers found that more frequent creative use of Instagram was associated with greater engagement in everyday creative activities, a stronger creative identity, 
a more positive attitude towards Instagram, and higher self-efficacy related to the platform. And this is huge, Tom. It tells us that Instagram is not just for scrolling through pretty pictures. It's being used as a creative outlet by individuals who see themselves as creators and are confident in their ability to use the platform effectively. That leads us to the implications. This study suggests that online environments can serve as significant tools for creative expression and that individual predispositions, like one's creative identity, along with perceptions of the platform, contribute to how actively people use Instagram for creativity. Wrapping things up, this study has provided us with a better understanding of why and how individuals use Instagram creatively. While creativity was not the most cited reason for using Instagram, it still plays a considerable role. Yes, Jen, and I believe this has broader implications for how we design and use social media platforms. It can influence everything from user interface design to the features platforms choose to implement. It also challenges us to rethink our perceptions of social media as merely tools for passive consumption. As always, we'd love to hear our listeners' thoughts on this. Do you use Instagram or any social media platform to express your creativity? What motivates you to share your creations online? Tweet us or send us a message on, you guessed it, Instagram. Your insights could very well inform future episodes. That's all from us today. Thank you for tuning in to this deep dive into the intricate world of creativity on Instagram. Until next time, keep those creative juices flowing and remember to share your light with the world. It might just be a click away on Instagram. Bye, everyone. Are you an Insta Picasso or a hashtag Hemingway, but feel like your creative genius is getting lost in the social media sauce? Worry no more, creatives. Introducing the all-new app Creativegram, where every filter is a muse and every story is a masterpiece. Created as a response to the groundbreaking study, Reeling in Stories, our app is designed to turn your creative whispers into viral roars. With features like the Idea Stormer that showers you with prompts tailor-made to spark your artistic fire. And Collab Craze, where you can co-create with fellow creatives and paint the town, or rather the feed, red, blue, green, or any hue your heart desires. Looking for motivation? Hit the Applause Alley button and get instant cheers, claps, and maybe even a virtual standing ovation from creative peers. And fear not, the Feedback Phantom is here to transform the dreaded comments section into a treasure trove of constructive critiques and adoring acclaims. So download Creativegram today and unleash the muse within, because in a world of infinite scrolls, your creativity deserves to roll. Creativegram, where your story is the story. Hello, folks, and welcome to an all-new episode of our award-winning podcast. I'm your host, Tom, alongside my brilliant co-host, Jen here, and today we invite you to join us as we unravel a fascinating research paper, Effective Calibration Training on the Calibration of Intelligence Analysts' Judgments. That's right, Jen. Intelligence analysts are pivotal for national security, offering estimates that guide major strategic decisions. But how well calibrated are their judgments? Can training make them more accurate? Let's find out. Our focus today centers on a paper authored by Megan O'Kelly and David R. Mandel. It delves into the calibration of judgments amongst intelligence analysts. In essence, measuring the coherence between analysts' confidence and the actual accuracy of their predictions. 
Calibration in this context means the likelihood that something predicted to happen with a certain probability actually happens at that rate. For instance, if an analyst is 80% confident about multiple predictions, ideally 80% of those predictions should be true. The closer these two figures are, the better calibrated the judgments. But there's a common issue here, miscalibration. It could manifest as overconfidence, where analysts are more confident than warranted, or underconfidence, where they are not as confident as they should be based on their accuracies. A key takeaway from this paper is that while experts are expected to make accurate judgments in their fields, evidence points to widespread miscalibration in human judgment across domains, including intelligence analysis. Overconfidence appears to be the most frequent bias. Right, Tom. And that's where calibration training comes in. We're looking at how a commercial training course designed for better calibration affects the judgment of analysts in interval estimation tasks, where they predict a range, and binary choice tasks, where they decide between two options. The study employed a pre-post training design with 70 Canadian intelligence analysts participating. The core of the training involved techniques for better calibrating their judgment such as the equivalent bet test and the pre-mortem technique, which acknowledges and adjusts for factors potentially skewing their estimates. Indeed, Tom, and what did they find? Post-training, analysts showed significant improvement in overall calibration and bias. However, not all improvements were equal across tasks. Analysts began overconfident in interval estimations and improved after training, while in binary tasks, initial underconfidence was actually magnified. Interestingly, Jen, the correlation between improvement on both tasks was negligible, suggesting that the training might shift bias toward less confidence instead of fostering an ability for metacognitive monitoring. Such findings bring us to the deeper implications of this research. If calibration training has the ability to influence the confidence levels of intelligence analysts, this could potentially alter the weight given to their assessments in decision-making processes in critical areas like national security and risk estimation. And as we wrap up, let's consider the broad strokes of what we've covered today. This paper not only shows the potential benefits of commercial calibration training on intelligence analysts, but also raises questions about the nature of judgment, confidence, and decision-making. Absolutely, Tom. It's a potent reminder that even experts are prone to biases and systematic training, and interventions can make a meaningful difference. It emphasizes the need for continuous professional development, even among the most seasoned analysts in critical fields. That brings today's deep dive to a close. I hope you found this as informative and thought-provoking as we did. Thank you for tuning in, and until next time, keep thinking critically and stay curious. This is Tom and Jen signing off. Keep listening, folks. Are you an intelligence analyst? who's more off the mark than a stormtrooper? Do your predictions need a little psychic surgery? Then you need Caliber Brain, the only brain training program with a secret sauce straight from cutting-edge research. With Caliber Brain's patented confidence corrector, you'll be hitting the bullseye of judgment faster than you can say probability distribution. No more overestimating the likelihood of alien invasions or underestimating the chance of your mother-in-law dropping by unannounced. Thanks to our Interval Intuition Intensifier, you'll be so well calibrated, 
you'll know the exact window of time to get coffee without bumping into your boss. And don't forget the binary bounce booster. Flip-flopping between yes or no, our booster turns indecision into surefire intuition. Because when it comes to judgment, it's either you or the magic eight ball. And let's face it, the eight ball's guesswork is just embarrassing. Users might experience a sudden boost in accuracy, an overwhelming surge of confidence, and the unnerving feeling of being right for once. Sign up today and get your calibration on point with Caliber Brain. Side effects might include excessive smirking at your own accuracy. Hello there, listeners. Welcome back to our podcast where we dive deep into groundbreaking research. Jen, what's on the agenda for today's episode? Today, we have a riveting paper entitled Variability and Accessibility of Information Guide Gaze Dynamics in Decision-Making, a work that delves into the intricacies of how we make decisions when information is hard to come by or when it comes in unpredictable ways. This research is groundbreaking because it challenges conventional ways of thinking about decision-making, where we previously assumed that all necessary information is readily available to the decision-maker. However, in real-life scenarios, we often need to actively seek out information, and that process isn't as straightforward as we might believe. Absolutely, Tom. The paper investigates this by looking at the role of uncertainty through two lenses, variability and accessibility. Variability refers to the unpredictability in the information we receive, while accessibility concerns how easy it is to obtain that information. The paper's significance lies in its experimental approach, which combines behavioral and eye-tracking data to see how people look for information while making decisions. Eye-tracking, in particular, helps us understand attention dynamics in a very direct way. The findings are profound because they suggest that people allocate more attention to options they are less sure about to gain more certainty. So, if you're feeling uncertain about the value of certain choices, you're more likely to seek more information on them, which is reflected in where and how you look. Indeed, Jen. This study adds a dynamic perspective, suggesting that our gaze, and thus our attention, is not just passively received, but actively directed towards reducing our uncertainty during the decision-making process. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of the paper, let's ensure our listeners are grounded. Tom, how about we start with some context on decision-making and the key concepts involved in this research? Great idea. Generally, in decision-making research, it's assumed that people accumulate evidence to a certain threshold before making a choice. This is well-established by something called the drift diffusion model, where decisions are reached by a process of integration to a boundary based on accumulated evidence. In simpler terms, when we have to choose between options, our brain is like a scale, adding bits of information on each side until one side tips the balance. Exactly, Jen. The paper we're exploring also mentions something called the attentional drift diffusion model, which extends this idea by factoring in the focus of our gaze as an integral part of the decision-making process, meaning where we look affects the choices we make. And speaking of eye tracking, did you know that our eye movements are closely linked to where we focus our mental attention? It might seem like an obvious connection, but it's a powerful tool for understanding how we process information and make decisions. It's fascinating. But what this paper aims to do is to dissect what influences these gaze dynamics. 
Why does our gaze gravitate towards certain options over others when we're uncertain? This takes us to the heart of the paper's objective. Understanding how variability and accessibility of information contribute to the way people direct their gaze and ultimately make decisions. With that context in place, we can now take a closer look at how the researchers went about their study and what they discovered. Stay tuned, because after a short break, we'll be diving into the core of the paper, detailing their objectives, methodology, findings, and the implications of their work on the field at large. And now, a word from our sponsor, Looky Lose Information Goggles. Do you ever feel bombarded by too much information or can't seem to find the info you need? Struggle no more. Introducing Looky Lose Information Goggles. Embedded with state-of-the-art eye-tracking technology, these snazzy spectacles guide your gaze to the most uncertain options for you. Staring down a restaurant menu with no clue what to order? The goggles will be your culinary compass, pointing your peepers to the dish you're most hesitant about and perhaps to a new favorite. Unsure which movie to watch? Let your information goggles detect your decision dilemma and literally lead your eyes to the hidden gem you'd otherwise miss. And with our patented I don't know mode, you can supercharge the glasses to deal with the most unpredictable information streams, like trying to understand your teenager or predicting cat moods. Looky-lose information goggles, making the undecidable delightfully decipherable. Can't find your order button? Don't worry. The goggles have already got it covered. But beware. Side effects may include an overwhelming sense of decisiveness, a newfound appreciation for uncertainty, and the occasional bizarre stare-down with inanimate objects. Looky-lose is not responsible for any odd outbursts of aha or spontaneous decisions to climb Mount Everest. And Jen, welcome to today's episode of our award-winning podcast, where we take a deep dive into cutting-edge research from the world of science and technology. Today, we are venturing into the intersection of artificial intelligence, ethics, and automation, an area growing in both relevance and complexity as we see advancements in autonomous technologies, particularly self-driving cars. That's right, Tom. We're focusing on a recent paper that stirred quite a buzz in this field. The paper is titled, Virtuous Vehicles, Identifying the Values Profiles of Human Drivers as a Basis for Programming Virtuous Decision-Making in Self-Driving Cars. An intriguing title, indeed. So let's unpack this. Many of us are aware that self-driving cars, or autonomous vehicles, AVs, have been gaining ground. And while these vehicles hold the promise of reducing traffic accidents and improving transportation efficiency, their integration into our daily lives poses numerous social and ethical challenges. Precisely, and one of the core quandaries that researchers in this space are trying to solve is how do you program an AV to make ethical decisions, particularly when it comes to unavoidable crash scenarios? Now, this is no small task. Historically, crash decision-making in the realm of AVs has been approached from either a deontological perspective which is all about following rules and fulfilling obligations, or from a consequentialist perspective, where the end result is what matters most. But what's novel about the approach in this paper is that the authors have brought in a third perspective, one rooted in ancient philosophy, virtue ethics. This is a branch of moral philosophy that emphasizes an individual's character as the key element of ethical thinking, 
rather than rules, deontology, or outcomes, consequentialism. The paper's authors conducted studies to understand human decision-making in crash scenarios, and they found that the core values held by people, like benevolence, which is associated with a prosocial driving style and self-sacrifice, or power, related to a competitive style and self-preservation, can inform the way AVs are programmed to act in crisis situations. Exactly, Tom. Their research delves into the complexity of moral decision-making in driving, utilizes driver behavior questionnaires, and, quite fascinatingly, employs driving simulations to see how values manifest in real-time actions. This is really about training a machine to behave like the best of us, embodying virtues in split-second decisions. The potential applications are immense, not just in programming self-driving cars, but in the broader scope of AI ethics. So listeners, fasten your seatbelts as we prepare to navigate through the details of this groundbreaking paper. We'll explore the methodology used, the core findings, and the broader implications for the field of autonomous vehicles and beyond. And we'll contemplate what this means for the future of transportation, ethics in AI, and the moral responsibilities of both human beings and the machines we create. Stay tuned as we gear up for a fascinating journey into the world of virtuous vehicles. Have you ever felt like your car just doesn't understand you? Like it's just ones and zeros without a hint of moral fiber? Well, worry no more. Introducing VirtuCar, the first vehicle line programmed with a moral compass based on your own personality. At VirtuCar, we don't just match your seat preferences or favorite radio stations. No, we delve deep into your soul. Just take our virtue match quiz and boom, your car is instilled with your own set of virtues. Agonizing over a tough driving decision, VirtuCar's patented moral wheel drive technology has you covered. Whether you're the benevolent protector of pedestrians or a model of roadway justice, your VirtuCar steers your ethics. And for those who fear the rise of our robot overlords, fear not. Each VirtuCar comes with a complimentary philosopher's handbook in the glove compartment. Just in case you need to out-argue your autonomous car in a debate over the trolley problem. So come on down to VirtuCar, where the only thing automatic is the integrity, because when it comes to the road, we put character in chariot. See you next time, folks, and may all your journeys be virtuously virtuosic. Music